Um, we are continuing our series, um, Jesus, the I Am. And we've established that when Jesus uses that language, I am, he's making a parallel statement to how um, God identified himself to Moses. We didn't read the verse, but we can read it this week, Exodus 3, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he, and he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And if you remember the context of this conversation, this is when Israel was in bondage and God was calling Moses to lead uh, the people out of this captivity. And Moses was concerned when he was giving all these different excuses like, I can't speak. And God said, okay, well, I'll give you help. And so this is this conversation when he says, well, what do I say to the people when they ask me who sent me? And this is what God was saying to him. Now, in the Gospel of John, we said last week that Jesus is asserting his divinity, um, that he is, in fact, God. And by attaching uh, these different metaphors in the Gospel of John, Jesus helps us to understand um, how he, as God, relates to humanity. Now, let me just ask you, just so can uh, be in the same realm of conversation, what are some words that you would use to describe Jesus? Father, love, holy. Okay, only three words. Okay. But I do have a list of words um, that we can use to see. As you can see, quite a few words that we've seen. A lot of these we've seen in Scripture. But, of course, based on our experiences um, with God, it will shape the words that we desire to use. So if we are in need of something, God came through, we'll say, okay, God is... You know, the old school, they would have all kinds of these old ways. We have also in the song, God is a Waymaker. Um, if we need resources, then God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So different words that we'll use to describe God. Now, imagine all the words that we could use to describe Jesus. And then you add all the words that we can find online or in scriptures that we use to describe Jesus. And yet, when Jesus spoke of himself, he often used um, these earthly terms, simple terms. He used things like he's a stone or he's the Lamb of God, all these different words we can relate to. And then we have the terms that's, that are only found in the Gospel of John. Let's review them, the seven I am statements. He is the bread of life. Um, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way the truth and the life, I am the true vine. So we see these things in Scripture. These are only found in the Gospel of John. Now, we've already um, made our way through the first two I am statements. Remember those? I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, which we did last week. Um, today, we're going to be covering uh, the third one, I am the door. Now, today's sermon might feel simple, based on the simplicity of the text. But don't miss the message. Um, Jesus used the very simple terms, our simple words, to communicate his truth because the people that he engaged with were agrarian. They were um, agricultural. Um, so he needed to use simple words to get them to understand what he was saying. At times, we overcomplicate God's word based on the intellectual climate they were in. For example, if you... Google what Berkeley is known for, something points to education. Talk about where the school is ranked. 
Today's sermon is talking about sheep and the door. No, it's not academically impressive, but it's still spiritually impactful. Um, now, uh, what I'm going to do today as well is to um, talk about I am the door. We find it in John 10, verse 7, and John 10, verse 9. But I want you to get the full picture of the story. So I'm going to invite you to stand, which we haven't done in a while. We're going to read the first 10 verses. I know I see some of uh, you guys pretending like you're old, like, ah, oh, got to stretch my knees. I see you. Um, but I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version today, um, the first 10 verses. Can we read together So don't, as a chorus? Yes? One, two, three. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not end. But the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the door opens, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes out. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me and watched, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have Lord, as we read your word, I pray, God, that you will be with us through the rest of this service and that your word will become clearer to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys can multitask in terms of reading and understanding. Um, my wife was um, doing uh, some, uh, watching some videos for work, and they said that multitasking is actually unproductive, you know, because you take away a few seconds just to get back to what you were doing. But we just read a passage that uses ordinary terms to describe an extraordinary God. Our text says that Jesus is the door, then he talks about being a shepherd to a sheep. Now think about the usefulness of a door in our daily lives. Um, we came into the sanctuary, hopefully, by way of a door. So most likely we'll be leaving through one of these doors. I don't anticipate um, Darren opening these windows and the wider for you guys to climb through. And you will most likely enter your home or a business by using a door. So for the most part, entering a door or through a door is unavoidable. Now, Jesus didn't simply talk about the sheep. Jesus focused on something that grants access to the sheep, the door. See, although it's tempting to focus on the sheep or the shepherd, you'll notice that there's a true purpose for this text. Twice in verses 7 and 9, Jesus says, I am the door, and watch this, he says, I'm the door of the sheep, not simply talking about the sheep. 
So this story is given to us as an illustration or a figure of speech in your ESV. Um, and that's what we're told. John 10, verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So when Jesus uses a parable, he often says, something is like something. But that's not what we find in this um, text. Jesus says, I am something. And he uses this illustration to reinforce that conviction. Now, what is the illustration that he's using? Well, we find three categories. Number one is that we have a story about sheep and shepherds, uh, specifically the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep and the sheep to the shepherd. Now, we have a story about thieves and robbers and their threat to the sheep. And then thirdly, we see that we have the story about the door and the doorkeeper. Now, as usual, when we discuss any um, metaphorical language, it's important to start with the cultural context. So let's start with that, the cultural context. So this story is about sheep and shepherds. Culturally, sheep are completely dependent on a shepherd for everything, for food and um, for protection. There is a misconception that a sheep's dependence is because they are senseless. Uh, people are all saying that sheep are dumb. However, sheep are smart in a significant way like no other. Um, they can distinguish the voice of their shepherd from all other voices. When we read the text, it says that the sheep does not understand or does not follow the voice of strangers. Jesus talks about how sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Imagine uh, John 10, verse 4, it says, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, at this time in Israel's history, when traveling shepherds would come to a city, they would uh, actually take their sheep to a sheepfold, a sheep pen, and have the sheep stay there overnight, and they would go out and they would stay in another lodge elsewhere. Now, I'm going to give you the first part of the story, and I'll end with the second part. Jesus mentions a doorkeeper in verse 3. A doorkeeper in this sheepfold would be entrusted with the well-keeping, the safety of these sheep. They would ensure that no sheep is lost, and they would ensure that no harm comes to the sheep. The next morning, all the different shepherds who were at the lodge, they'd come back to this sheepfold, this central location, and they'll come there to retrieve their sheep. They might be saying, well, if all the sheep are in this pen, then how do these uh, shepherds know the difference with their sheep? Well, it's what we read. It's the same way how you could recognize the voice of your friends talking in the crowd. Each sheep would know their shepherd's voice when they're called out, when they call out to them. So only those sheep would respond. So when I get to that sheep and I call out to my sheep, only my sheep would respond, the other sheep wouldn't. Well, how well do you know the voice of your shepherd, Jesus? We went through a whole series about hearing the voice of God. The reason many Christians don't know the voice of God is because they, they are not spending enough time with him. If you did your research, you'll find that there's a unique relationship with any sheep and shepherd, not just biblically, but even now. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. 
So hearing his voice is only half the battle. The other part of the equation is obeying what we hear. Jesus said at the end of verse 4 that, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So following Jesus is obeying him. So it's not just inclining our ears to hear him, but it's actually doing what he says. So the story is about sheep and shepherds. The story is also about thieves and robbers. Jesus mentioned thieves and robbers in verses um, 1, 8, and 10. These are the people who pose as a great threat to the sheep. Now, he uses the illustration to actually call out these thieves and robbers, but he also wanted to warn the sheep. In context, Jesus is calling out the religious leaders who are not helping the sheep. See, they are not, they're trying to, you know, use them for their own agenda. So rather than helping them, you know, to find salvation, they actually had an other motive. So Jesus says that they tried to climb into the sheep pen rather than going through the door. So they're looking for an easier way. But the Bible tells us that there is a way that seems right. Sometimes we try to be innovative, but innovation doesn't mean it's right. It's just another way. John 10 verse 1, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and robber. So just by doing things the wrong way, you've already been identified with being a thief and a robber. This is why we have the famous adage that says, show me your friends and what? Show me your friends and what? You guys are acting like you're so young. You, you guys know it. it. says, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Never heard it before? Yeah, no. Don't act like I'm an old man. I'm not an old man. This is why, you know, so, so this is why we, we have this where we all often hear, I'm sure you guys know it, that you're guilty by association, right? Fair or unfair, this is what happens. The religious leaders are guilty of being false shepherds. They were teaching and practicing that you can enter the sheep um, fold by climbing over the fence, by doing works, by efforts that are man-made. But we can only receive salvation through faith in Jesus and not because of our good works. We have the promise of salvation because God has given us Jesus as the gift of grace in our lives. Jesus then says in John 10 verse 8, All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Think about that. He's saying that if you're a Christian, if you're following me, although you might have false prophets, you won't respond because you're going to say that's not of God. He's talking about those who came before him claiming to be the Messiah, but also those who would come after him as well. So Jesus is the only Messiah. We also see that thieves and robbers intend to harm the sheep. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. If you've been a Christian for a while, you're probably aware that this verse often applied to Satan as the thief who comes to steal kill and destroy. So he's the ultimate thief. 
But this is also reinforced in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. Then in Ephesians 6, verse 11, it says to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. So the Bible makes it clear that Satan intends to harm us, and he is the ultimate thief. Now, so we have this story about sheep and shepherds, thieves and robbers. Now, we learn that the story is also about the door and the doorkeeper. This is actually a very important part of our story. Now, in this section, we have some direct statements from Jesus. Now, he doesn't say that I am a door. He says that I am the door. And one of the big uh, misconceptions in our culture is the belief that all paths lead to God or that there are multiple ways to God, but that is not the case. You can only get to God through Jesus Christ. John 10, verse 7, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is saying, I am the entryway. This is the heartbeat of the story. So let's start looking at what is the necessity of the door? If Jesus is saying that I am the door, what is the necessity of the door? Well, you, t well, you typically don't get into a physical, uh, physical building um, without going through a door. We talked about it earlier. So Christ is now drawing this illustration to suggest that there is a requirement of a door for a person to gain access to salvation. The question is, where can we find this door? Where can this door be found? Where can we find this door of peace? Or where can we find the door of forgiveness? Where can we find the door to a relationship with God? Jesus made it clear that he alone is the door to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is the whole point of this story that he was teaching. Because what if you're hungry, but there's no door to access a kitchen. We probably wouldn't know what's inside if it was just wall. And, you know, we can only assume that there's food inside. But if you have access, that changes everything. Talking about access. I, um, so we were having a little problem with our door at the uh, upper room. I went to upper room after 11.30 p.m. this past Friday. I needed to grab something from my office. And I usually pop in early morning, late night, depending on what's happening. Got to the door, and it was open, so I just literally just walked right through the door. And when I walked through the door, I went, I went upstairs looking through, making sure things are in place. But when I left, I locked the door to ensure that no one had access, which means that if you try to access that door after... 12 o'clock, you wouldn't have access. You're locked out, zero access, because that's the only way for us to gain access to upper room. Locking this one door removed access. Having no door would mean unlimited access. So there is a necessity of a door, 
But we must also recognize that there is a singularity of the door. Just as there is one door to telegraph to our elevator, there is only one door to God, one way to access salvation. The reason I was at Upper Room is because uh, I had I left my wife's key in my, in my desk. I was there earlier, and I have a car key, so got home and realized I left her key. I don't have, I can't get into the garage without her. So I had keys to drive her car, but I had no access to get into the garage. So I knew that if I left, there's no way for me to get back in the house that night. So I went in too late. But we find that there's one, one access to salvation. Acts 4, verses 10 to 12. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you see what we have here. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, no other door but Christ. There is one door. The ark that Noah, uh, that Noah entered only had one door. This was to protect them from the storm and the flood. The tabernacle that we see in the Old Testament had one door. This was a place of cleansing. The temple had one door. This was a place to offer worship to God. So there is only one door, and that door is Jesus. So the ark, the tabernacle, the temple foreshadowed Jesus. The one place for safety from the storm, one place for cleansing from sin, one person to receive worship is Jesus. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So understand this truth that Jesus is not a door. Jesus is the door. So we discussed the necessity of the door, the singularity of the door, but now let's consider what is the availability of the door. I mentioned to you about having the wrong key. So having the wrong key to any door is useless. Some doors might read, keep out, or employees only, authorized personnel only. All these restrictions that we often encounter that are trying to you know, restrict us from getting through the doors. The door to eternal life is always available through Jesus. Jesus invited us saying in Matthew 1:28, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." So all of us have need of this door. All who repent of sin and have faith in the lordship of Christ has access to the door. Now there's something else that comes with the door. There is generosity behind the door. Have you guys ever seen those TV shows that will tell you, um, pick a door, guess door one, number two, or three? You guys seen those TV shows? No, where people have to make guesses? Am I the only that watch TV shows? <laughs> so they always have this in saying, pick number one, and sometimes, you know, their good gift is behind number three, and you're like, ah, messed up. But God doesn't ask us to guess between the different doors. 
He offers the only door to heaven, his son, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So note the generosity of God that is resting in Jesus, the door. The first generosity is salvation. In John 10, verse 9, Jesus said that those who receive him are saved. What are we saved from? Saved from sin. So when you have entered the door, Jesus Christ is simply there to receive us, right? Then we also have petition. We see that he's the door by which we enter in and have communion with him. But we also have this access to him. He's the door of entrance, but also we can pray to him. We can have fellowship with him. He calls us his friend. We are children of God. We have fellowship with the creator of the universe because we have received his son by faith. But there's also this service that comes with it. We not only go through him, but verse 9 says that we go in and out and back to his pasture. So we, does the, we do by this. So it means that we have a purpose. God has a purpose for our lives. We don't live useless, selfish, regretful life as Christian. Our purpose is to serve God's purpose in our generation. So we have a reason for living. Um, yesterday we talked about going to Project Peace, doing things within the community. So we don't simply exist. We act on that purpose given by God to make a difference in the life of someone else. So we refuse to live lives as selfish Christian, which is actually an oxymoron, you know, selfish and Christian. Now, I said to you earlier that I'm going to give you the first half of the story. So let's get back to the beginning of the story. As Jesus spoke about being the door, he was speaking in terms of a shepherd and his sheep. So a sheepfold was a place where sheep were kept safe. I mentioned overnight. It was a square or round enclosure made of rocks that they would pile on each other. Um, one place was left open so that the sheep could enter in and out. And at night, once the sheep were inside, the shepherd, which is, which is pretty much like a sheep babysitter, that's really what it was, this shepherd would lie down in the doorway. I think I have a picture, you can see this right here. This is literally how it was in the olden days. And the reason for this is that if a sheep tried to go out, then the shepherd would ensure that the sheep stay in. But also, this shepherd would also ensure that no um, predator would actually have access to the sheep, which is why Jesus was using this because he understood that they would know what this meant. So he's saying, if you want access to God, you don't jump over these stones. You go through the path that was created. So all those who are living in this agricultural um, sense, they understood this. So he was clearly saying that he is the, not just the shepherd for the sheep, but he is the actual door. Once we are in him, we have peace, protection, and purpose. Once those sheep are inside that space, there is a sense of safety. So the sheep would go out and they would graze and they would be fed. And then in the night, they would go in. So when they're going out and they're grazing, they actually have wool which means they're useful for shepherds. God is expecting us to do the same with our lives. Each day, he's expecting us to wake up, 
being excited for a new day. Sometimes we get up saying, ah, today is going to be one of those days. That's not what God is expecting. He's expecting us to get up and say, man, I'm excited about this day because I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make a difference in the world. That's what he's expecting, that we're going to go out there and we're going to share the gospel and we're going to also do good works. When we fail to do these things, then what he's saying is that we're useless to the shepherd. That might sound harsh, but that's the fact. When we fail to do what we're supposed to do, we're useless. If those sheep just stay in that pen and just graze what's on the inside and never develop the wool that they're supposed to, they're useless to the shepherd. Now, sometimes it's easier for us to say, well, now that I'm saved, I'll just sit in this pen. Now, there's safety. You know, why should I go out there and risk sharing the gospel to strangers? probably don't want to hear, don't want the rejection, but we got to risk it. You guys risk it each day sharing the gospel? You guys afraid of risking it? Any hands? <laughs> yeah, I understand. It can be scary. Some scare people out there sometimes. But God is expecting us to go out and do it because at night the sheep had rest and peace. In Christ, we are secure. Because we have him guarding our lives. We have a purpose for he leads us out to work for him. So we should have this desire that each day we, are, we get up, we're saying, God, I'm going to do something. Because he has a greater purpose than whatever we can imagine. So we need to just live beyond just being in this sinful world and say, God, how can I make a difference? Now, as I close today's teaching, God is calling all of us to walk through an open door. That's what he's doing. He's calling us to walk through an open door. But not just any door. He wants us to walk through the door that he provides, and he provides himself. Uh, there is no admission price. He's already paid it with his life. You can't work your way through the door, which is what the, you know, the religious leaders try to do. They try to say, if you do more good works, you can have Christ. You can't pay your way to get through this door. You must come by faith and then continue to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Some of us might need to serve God more faithfully. We're saved and we're just sitting inside a pen, just being comfortable. And he's calling us to do a little bit more than that. Get out there. Jesus is the door. He's the entryway. He's the only way. No one can bypass him to get saved except through Jesus. You, can, you have to be this beacon of hope. Now, the language about going in and out that we find in our text was describing this liberated life, that we have this freedom, not freedom to sin, but know that we have freedom from sin, which is what we're seeing in our text. We can leave our burdens, which is why we bring our burdens to Christ. Amen? When you look through Scripture, Christ is always, again, using simple terms for us to understand. Um, again, there are many ways that we might think, many ways, but he's saying, I am the only way. And when we're sharing the gospel to others, 
That's what we're saying, that Jesus is the only way for the freedom that we need in our lives. He's the only way to give us the peace that we need in our lives. He can give us eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have what? What do we have? Eternal life, which is what he's providing to us. So today is a reminder that Jesus is saying that he's not only our shepherd, but he's actually the, he's actually the door. He's the doorkeeper. And we see this shepherd sitting there, and he's saying that as a child of God, he's not going to bring harm to us as long as we remain faithful to him. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today is an opportunity for you. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no simpler way to say it. If you want freedom, Jesus is the way. If you're saved and you're saying, well, I'm good, yes, that's great, but we still have to live by faith. It's not just about coming to Christ, but we have to remain in him and serve his purpose with our lives. And we're going to have an opportunity right now to respond in worship, but I want you to take a few moments just to consider um, if you've neglected Christ being the only way in your life. And I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we're grateful for your word, your simple yet impactful word that reminds us that the only way we have access to God is through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that as we're here, for the one that's um, not a Christian, for the one that's um, struggling with their faith, and for even for the one that believed that we have it all together, I pray that we all just remember and just realize that Jesus is the only way, and we desire to serve you with our, for the rest of our lives. I pray, God, that you will help us to be grounded in you. I pray that you move in and through our lives. I pray, God, that you continue to just gather every step. Help us to trust you and to faithfully serve you, serving your purpose for the rest of our lives. Let your will be done in and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to respond um, to worship.